Well, all right. Today we're going through this series, uh, looking at this issue of faith. We're looking at Abraham's life, and we're looking at how Abraham demonstrated a, a great life of faith. How Abraham was able to live differently than a lot of people because he just demonstrated this faith. I mean, Abraham had this unbelievable courage just to, to trust God and to, to follow God. He, he had this ability to just to have this, this persistence. He, just, he continued to follow him, and he continued to, to trust him. He had a great courage. He had... Heck, he had great empathy. When his nephew Lot was in Sodom and he was worried about his nephews and his family's welfare there, then Abraham just began to start interceding and, and praying for them. And, and God had made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham went through some difficult times. And, and it doesn't mean that Abraham was, was perfect because Abraham was less than perfect. He wasn't without sin. Scripture says, remember, we've looked at this, that, that he lied. He, he had his wife lie. Uh, when God didn't react quick enough and when God's timing seemed too slow for Abraham and Sarah, uh, they had their own plan and that caused all kinds of, of problems and it was sin. And well, yet God still fulfilled the promise that he had made to Abraham. 25 years, Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for this child called Isaac. God had promised to Abraham and Sarah that he would be the father of many nations, that one day he would have a son, and he had named that son Isaac. Can you imagine? I mean, I tried to put myself this last week in Abraham and Sarah's shoes. Can you imagine having the same prayer request for 25 years? Can you imagine living and dreaming that God is going to answer that prayer? That maybe this is the season? Maybe this is the day? 25 years years. They waited. They waited for God to do what God said he would do. They waited for God to do what he promised them that he would do. And the day finally came when God visited Abraham and said, by this time next year, it was the first time that God ever put a, a date to it, a, a timeline to it. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the, the, the things that happen, the three things that happen when our faith is tested. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 21. Here's what the, the Scripture says, first, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. These first two verses are just really important about this promise. But let's just go through it. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born, uh, who was born to him, whom Sarah, Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised Isaac uh, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has, has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said... Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Just real quickly, three facts about this issue of testing. The first thing is this. Through testings, God's promises was received. Through testing, God's promise was received. Abraham and, and Sarah, through a difficult time in their life, through a time of, of, of testing, the promise that God had made to them was received. Again, watch this. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Sarah, now listen, I've underlined three different phrases in my Bible because there's three different times that God visits the promise and says, I did what I said I would do. I did what I promised I would do. I did it in my time. And you can trust that because, 
because God is trustworthy. God, is, God does not lie, Scripture says. And God does exactly what he promises that he will do. Watch this. The Lord uh, visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At what? At the time of which God had spoken to him. Scripture is clear that God did exactly what he would said he would do. He fulfilled every promise that he made to Abraham and Sarah. And they had this unbelievable ability that through a time of testing, through a time of difficulty, maybe through dark days. I mean, have you ever had a promise? You ever had a prayer request in your life and you felt like God was going to take care of it and God was going to do something? And then you go through those dark days? I wonder if Abraham and Sarah had those evenings that they would wonder, did, did we miss God? Did God really say he was going to give us a son? Did, did, we, just, did we not get that? Did, did we misunderstand that? I mean, after all, I'm, I'm like 99 and you're like 89. Or I wonder if they thought, well, maybe he did say it. But did we disqualify ourselves? We lied. We weren't perfect. You see, a promise is only as good as the person who is giving the promise. The promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarah was based on his character, not theirs. They weren't perfect. They were obedient. And they were faithful. Why is it sometimes it's easy, it's easier for us to trust in people than it is for us to trust in God. Sometimes, I mean, we'll, we'll blindly trust people that we don't even know. Uh, this last week, I flew back to the promised land, Texas, and uh, thank you for that testimony, whoever that was. <laughs> One out of the whole group. And I got on a plane there's a pilot who I'd never met that I did not know. I mean, I didn't stop by and say, hey, are you sober? Uh, do, you have a, do you have a driver's, do you have a license to fly this plane? Have you ever had a crash? Have you ever had an accident? Can you do what you say you could do? Do you have the gifts necessary to do this? I didn't quiz him. I, blind faith. Just get on a plane. You put your life in his hands or her hands, and it's just like this blind faith. Uh, this last week, 4,000 people got on a cruise ship. Blind faith of trusting a pilot to do what he said he would do. Why is it so many times it is easy to have this blind faith for people, governments, situations, circumstances, and then when it comes to God who does not lie, who does exactly what he says he's going to do, who is trustworthy and righteous and holy, we struggle with believing can he, can he really do that? Will he really fulfill that? See, there's some lessons for us here in Abraham's story and when they went through these dark days of waiting and when it's difficult and when you're in that difficult season, be patient and wait for the Lord. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been waiting for a long time for got to do something in your life. Maybe you've been waiting weeks, months, and years. Abraham and Sarah's story 
is a story that tells us in those dark times, in those seasons of doubt, in those seasons when you may feel like that, does he even know who I am? Be patient and wait and trust him. With Abraham and Sarah, God proved himself true when the promise was received and Sarah's circumstances was a special one because when you look at the facts, it's very unique. I mean, natural childbirth to a woman who had been barren and wasn't able to have children. And now she's 89 years old. Max Lucado says this about Sarah. He said, Sarah was the only woman who paid her obstetrician with her social security check. (laughs) I mean, that's just funny to just even think about. And I mean, can you see Abraham and Sarah taking Isaac to the grocery store, going down the baby food aisle, pushing him in the little cart, and between the three of them, not a tooth in their head. Uh, I mean, they're, they're probably shopping for baby food for the whole family, you know, buying diapers and depends and, and all of that stuff. There's just tons of stuff here, and I'm going to move on before I end up in... I'm moving. I am moving on because I'm going to end up in trouble before it's all over with. But you... But you understand this, right? I mean, they're old. I mean, they are old. And God has, I mean, they have received the promise. They have received what God, God did exactly what God said he was going to do. And so the application for, for us is this. Regardless of what the circumstances look like, God is able to do what he says he's going to do. See, all of a sudden, they didn't have some medical discovery or some scientific discovery that, that allowed her to have children at the age of 89. It's because of the hand of God. Is because God is faithful and, and true. But the scripture says this, too. They didn't ignore the facts. You see, fa- faith is not ignoring the, faith, uh, the facts. Faith is not this Pollyanna faith that it's all going to work out and all this other stuff. Scripture says that Abraham and Sarah acknowledged the facts that they were old and they could not have children. But they trusted God in spite of the facts. I mean, they trusted him. I mean, John Davis said this about Abraham. He said, at times, Abraham did express impatience and anxiety, but it was never to the point of abandoning his commitment to God. It wasn't that they were perfect. It wasn't that they were without sin. It was this. That even when they went through difficult times, even when they went through those times of doubt, even when they had some anxiety and they had some stress and some questions, they did not abandon their commitment to God. Why is it so many times when people go through difficulty, their commitment to God is the first thing that goes? Man, they've committed, they've made commitments, they're in church, they're worshiping God, and then all of a sudden they go through difficult times, they go through a difficult season, they go through challenges, and they say, oh, I know the first commitment we need to give up on. Not Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, through that time, they had this deep commitment. They understood that God is able to do exactly what he says he could do. That he can take a woman that is elderly and past childbearing years and give her a son if he has promised. He is able to do that. He can take a young boy and give him some smooth stones and 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 a slingshot and slay a giant. He is able to do that. He can take eight people and they can build an ark the size of a football field and put all the animals in there. God is able to do it. The fact is, Ephesians 3.20 tells us this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we think or ask, 
according to the power at work that is within us. Abraham and Sarah, they had this persistence. When they went through challenges, when they went through challenges in a marriage and challenges in relationships and challenges in situations, they didn't give up on their commitment to God. They stayed faithful and they continued to follow him. Here's another thing about testing. Through testing, Abraham was obedient. We've talked about that. I mean, when you look at Abraham's life, you realize that, you know what? He was obedient, even in the midst of testing. We'll just continue through this scripture. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. Now listen, God is the one that told Abraham 25 years prior to this that you will have a son. You'll become father of many nations, and you will name that son Isaac. Listen, Abraham was obedient to God before the blessing and after the blessing. He's just faithful to him. Man, he was faithful to God in the time of testing, the time of difficulty. It's so tempting for people, and you see this all the time, to where people go through crisis and people go through difficulty in their life, and they draw close to God and they cry out to God, God, help me, I can't do this, I can't make it happen, please help me. And then God delivers them, and they walk away from it. God, I, we got it from here. See, God knew Abraham could handle the blessing. God knew that Abraham would be obedient to him on this side of during crisis and then after crisis and during this period of, of great blessing. And the scripture goes on. And so Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. And he was just obedient. He led his family to church. He passed on his faith. He did what the scriptures had taught him. He, he set an example of what it means to be a God follower what it means to honor your commitments, what it means to honor your commitment to people that you make, and what it means to honor the commitments that you've made to him. Eight days old, just as God, watch this, just as God had commanded him. Abraham had this faith that did not allow him to give up. Craig Rochelle says this. He says, your life is far too valuable. Your calling too great, and your God too good. To waste your life on what doesn't matter. Abraham got it. Abraham understood that his calling was to God. And he wasn't going to waste his life on things that, in eternity that really didn't matter. And Abraham had this persistent faith. And he just, he just continued to persevere. And the Christian life isn't just this one-time decision that we make. Sometimes we make that decision so glorious. And it is. But you know what is really glorious? Is when you walk with him daily. When you're just obedient, when you just follow him. When you understand that it's the daily decisions of the choices that you make and the actions and the words that you use and you find with Abraham. That he was just faithful, but you also find that as he was obedient, not only his joy, but the joy of Sarah's was rekindled as God fulfilled the promise that he had promised to do. And fact is, at the birth of Isaac, all the years, when you look at the scripture, all the years of waiting and frustration seemed to just go away. I mean... We, we have two daughters, Brittany and Amanda, and, and uh, 
I had the honor of, of being part of, of their birth and, and, uh, and in the room. And I tell you what, labor's tough. And, uh, <laughs> when it was over, I was exhausted. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, Karen had an epidural. I went natural. And <laughs> no drugs for me. But you know, I know, I, I, I'm moving on. Those of you that have children, you know what the, the ninth month is like. The excitement and the anticipation and you can't wait for that day. And when is the day going to come? Abraham and Sarah, 25 years. 25 years they'd been waiting for that day. That God, had, God, that God would do what he said he would do. And the day came that he did it. And all of a sudden, all the years of waiting, all the pain, all the discomfort, all the questions went away. And you see that their, their joy was just rekindled. Verse, verse 5, And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And watch this. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. And everyone who hears will laugh over me as we have done this morning. You know what she's saying there by that statement, by the way? And everyone who hears will laugh over me. Those that get into the word. Those that read the word and understand it. Their joy will be rekindled. Especially when God answers a prayer for them. And, you know, sometimes we take the Christian life and, and we just make it so serious. Like it's, but when you look in Scripture, you find that joy is a part of the Christian life. <laughs> Laughter is a part of the Christian life. In fact, is, in, in Abraham and Sarah's life, you can look, there's two different types of laughter. There's, there's the laughter of faith. It came in Genesis chapter 17 for Abraham when God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. In your old age, I'm going to give you a son. The scripture says that Abraham fell flat on his face laughing hysterically. God, seriously, you're going to do this for me? We have always wanted a son. We have always wanted a child. Seriously, God, you're going to do this for me? And so for Abraham, it was a laughter of faith. Sarah was a little bit different. Remember last week when we looked at this, Sarah overheard the conversation? Sarah's laugh was a little bit different. Sarah's was a laugh of skepticism. God, can you really do this? You see, we've got to understand as believers that joy is a part of the Christian life. In fact, his joy is a... It's a testimony of, our, of our, our life. It's understanding like Abraham in his laughter. He realized that God is still in, con- man, he's still in control. Here, here's something else. So remember I've taught you that in the Old Testament, names mean something. fact is, any Old Testament name, um, it, it, it would either 
give us a hint or teach us about their character. It may be a destiny that they have, but names meant something in the Old Testament to where you could hear someone's name and you already knew something about them. There's a lot of times, and we're going to see it today, where, where God chose to turned, uh, changed Abram's name to Abraham. But a lot of times in Scripture, see, not so much in our culture, our day, but yes, in their day. And so God tells Abraham, Abraham, you know, you know what I want you to call your son? I want you to call your son Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. Why don't you call him laughter? I want you to remember that every time you call him laughter, every time you tell Sarah, Sarah, you know, we're supposed to call him laughter, that you understand that I'm going to rekindle your joy. That you understand when this is received, it will give you it will give you joy, that it will give you peace. I mean, see, a lot of times in Scripture, we, we miss the humor because we don't understand the culture. But Scripture is clear. The fact is, Jesus taught with a lot of home, uh, humor. Now, we may, not, we may think, seriously? Are you, are you, yeah, Jesus. But see, we don't understand the culture. You see, culture has humor just associated with that culture, right? I mean, we get that, right? Like I lived in Texas. We laughed. You know, when, I, when, I, when we came from here to te- from Texas to here, I would try to tell you guys some of my Texas jokes. You thought they were stupid. You didn't even think they're funny because we laugh at stuff totally different than what you guys laugh at. And you know what? Got to be honest. You'd tell me your jokes and I'm like, that's not even funny. That's stupid. And so because I didn't understand your culture, right? Because humor is specific to a culture. Like, for instance, a few months ago, I'm coming back from Denver on I-25. I see a bumper sticker, totally not funny. Uh, It said this. It said, if you're from California, go back, take two Texans with you. (laughs) Now, listen, that is not funny. That's hurtful. See, that's hurtful, right? Right, yeah. Especially if you're from California or from Texas. But see, this issue of humor is, is to a community. It's to a culture. See, Jesus taught a lot of sermons. See, a lot of times we think that we associate being spiritual. And we, we associate being deep or deep te- teaching. It's just serious and somber that none of us really get. Because we think, man, if we don't get it, it has to be deep. It has to be... In- but man, Jesus. See, the culture of the, the New Testament... Their jokes were by exaggeration. That's, they, they'd exaggerate something. Some of Jesus' most difficult sermons when he was trying to teach a difficult topic, he used a lot of humor to where not only probably he was laughing when he said it, but his listeners were laughing. When Jesus was teaching on this issue of judging, Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Why do you worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye? When there's this telephone pole. Now, see, they'd be laughing at this point, like you guys did over the bumper sticker, by the way. <laughs> and all these images are coming up in their mind that what would, that, what would it look like to carry a, a telephone pole in our eye and it'd be, it'd be heavy to lift, yeah, because, to lift because judging wears you out. Oh, and we had hurt people because we're like swinging it around and we couldn't see where we're going. And all these images would come up in their mind. When Jesus was teaching that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, which, by the way, all of us are rich in America, because they'll trust in their wealth and their riches and their ability, Jesus made a statement that they thought was, was hilarious, that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle 
than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so they have all these images of trying to shove a camel through the eye of a, of a needle. The greatest testimony we have is this issue of, of joy. Eight million people search Google to try to figure out what John 3.16 means. Those of you that are my age and you know we had the guy that sat in the end zone with the rainbow fro. Remember that guy? Uh, the, 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 the bucket, I think, around him and holding up the John 3.16 sign. And you know what? In my generation, everybody knew what that meant. We now live in a generation to where not so many people know. And so we better Google it to try to find out. The most attractive thing we have as believers is our faith and our joy. It is a poor testimony when we're just sour, we just have this critical spirit, and we just have this, this sad disposition when the one who created the world has made promises to us that he can do what he says he could do. And we work with people. We live in communities where people just don't know. Proverbs 17.22 says this. A cheerful heart is good medicine. There's all kinds of research done about what laughing does to the body, boosts the immune system, it relieves stress, it, all these other things. But a crushed spirit... And dries up the bones. You can crush the spirit of people around you because there's not joy in your life and you wonder why they're not happy around you. Margot Fortain said this. She said, the one important thing I've learned over the years is the difference between taking one's work seriously and taking oneself seriously. The first is imperative the second is disastrous. Abraham and Sarah, even when God remained silent, they stayed faithful. You know what I do in my life when God is silent or he's remained silent in an area of my life? I go back to the last promise he has given me. And I hang my life on that. You realize that's what Abraham and Sarah did? In those years of waiting, those years of doubt, those years of anxiety, they went back to the last time he met with them, the last promise that he gave them. The last thing about this issue of testing is through testing, hope for the future was rekindled. You see this in Abraham and Sarah's life, that the hope for the future was just totally different for them. And so you may be asking, what is the significance of this story and what is the big deal? But look at this, Genesis chapter 17, 5. Let's just glance at this. So God tells Abraham years before the birth of Isaac. That's huge in the chronology of this. Verse 5, no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, meaning father of many nations. That's what his name meant. That told you something about his character, about his destiny, about who he is. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Do you realize that in the midst of this darkness that, that it showed great faith when Abraham was willing to change his name from Abram to Abraham? 
Now, this may seem like no big deal to you, just change a name. Nobody in their culture, everybody's asking questions. Why? Because your name says something about who you are. Your name says something about your character. It says something about your destiny. Can you imagine being Abram and going down to the courthouse and say, I need to change my name? Really, what name would you like? I think I'd like to be called Father of Many Nations. Great. How many children do you have? Not a one. Can you imagine what it'd be like for his buddies and, you know, in his neighborhood and, and, and church and where he hung out with? And, and he's saying, yeah, I changed my name to Father of Many Nations. They, Abraham, you don't have one child. No, you're right. But God's promised to provide. Do you realize it was a statement of faith? Abraham, in some, response, some, some, in some way, started living his life like the promise was already received. Like God was already done it almost. I'm the father of many nations, verse 16. And God's still talking to you, him. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I'll make you into nations and Kings shall come from you. And when, Abraham, when Isaac was born, their hope was rekindled. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you in your life. To where your hope was rekindled. When God answered a prayer in your life, took care of a situation. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this about faith. Now faith is assurance of the things hoped for. And it is the convictions of the things not seen. That was Abraham. I'm the father of many nations. When? I don't know. How? Not a clue. But my trust is in him and at his time it'll be fulfilled what do you hang on to when you go through difficult times when you get that call in the middle of the night and someone tells you a loved one's in the emergency room what do you cling to where do you put your trust? When a supervisor or a boss comes into your office and says your position is going to be done away with, it's no longer needed, who do you cling to? Where do you place your trust? When a spouse tells you, I no longer love you, and I no longer want to live with you or the children, where do you turn? Where do you turn? When you've been waiting for God to do something in your life, and it seems like an eternity, what do you do in that period? That's why Jesus said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, 
would I have told you that I would go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Don't wait until a better season to rejoice. Rejoice in the season you are in because God lives in you. And God is faithful and God is true. And you can trust him. Regardless of what you're walking through this morning, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, what response does God want you to make as a result of this message? What you've heard from him. Some of you this morning, you may need to accept him for the very first time in your life. You need to ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and begin walking with him. Many of you this morning, you're believers. And maybe you're walking through a time in your life where your hope needs to be rekindled. Maybe you're living in a time and you're thinking about and you're praying about just giving up on your commitments that you've made, your commitment to God, your commitment to family, your commitment to other people. Maybe today is a day that you need to renew your commitment to Him and to others. Just a few minutes, we want the opportunity to pray for you if you need prayer here this morning.